The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Foot First Podiatry. Painful bunions? Then it's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sklar Bunionectomy. No scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. For more information about the Sklar Bunionectomy, visit footfirst.com. And by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Everybody and welcome into the Sportscaster and her son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your co-host Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster from NBC Chicago. I'm the baby boomer, and I'm the mom. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I think that's very <laughs> the title of the show. Um, I'm Jason Canander. I'm. I still don't even really know what generation I'm in, and I can't check this time because I can't get away with being on my phone at all. So I'm Generation Z, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm a sophomore at University of Texas. I'm involved with student TV. Um, I'm a contributing writer for Southside Sox, big Sox blog. Um, you can catch all my stuff on Twitter at Jason Commander. And really excited to debut the new show format here at StreamYard. Kind of my bread and butter. This is what I use uh, in the spring for student TV. Nice. All right. So thank you, everybody uh, who has followed us here on YouTube and also on our website, thesportscasterandherson.com. Thank you for listening to us. The audio version of the show is available. As you know, you can download, tell a friend, uh, follow us. It's available anywhere you get your audio podcast, whether it's Apple or Google, Podbean, the Barroom Network, Yep, we are the Barroom Network, and also on SoundCloud as well. So and Google Play, also, you forgot Google Play. Oh, sorry, Google Play as well. Thank you. And hey, um, did you know that we have merch? We talked about this before. We still have fan merch available. Lots of sales are going on. Good job, Jason, wearing your T-shirt. That's the quarterback T-shirt that has the list of all the quarterbacks from the and last it's 22 really years. comfortable. It is really comfortable. Nice. And there's also a We Don't Always Get Along that is also available. And you can find a link to our fan merch store at T Public, also on our website. All you have to do, just go to our website and click the link. It will take you right there. Now, it is true that we don't always get along, but our love for sports always seems to give us something to talk about. And Jason, the Bears open up the 2021 season with a mess of an offensive line again. Again. Oh, okay. I didn't know that that was my cue. Um, yeah. Before we start, I have two disclaimers. First, uh, number one, as you could probably tell by now, I'm running a little bit, actually a lot of a head cold. So I'm back at school. I feel like this was kind of a theme <laughs> when we reduced shows from from uh, Austin last year. I'd, I'd be sick quite frequently, kind of back to that. Um, I feel fine. It's just kind of obvious. So I wanted to get that out of the way. Number two. Um, I am in my apartment. Walls are very thin. I sent a text and left a post-it that I'm going to be doing this. Um, so any noise that comes from out of my room is out of my control uh, before that happens because it is inevitable at some point this semester. So, All right, so offensive line for the Bears. Yes, We're embarking, uh, embarking on this new season, and it seems like we still have a problem with um, offensive line with this team. Some things never change, as we've seen with the quarterback position. Uh, honestly, 
when you look at the Bears roster, offensive line isn't necessarily what I worry about first, but it is something that I do worry about, especially when you look at the skill players. You have Allen Robinson, who's an established top 10, probably top 15 receiver. And then nobody else that's really too established. Jimmy Graham, his best years are several years behind him. David Montgomery is good when the offensive line is healthy. Is the offensive line healthy? Absolutely not. So there goes like your number two offensive weapon becomes completely ineffective with the bad offensive line. And by the way, in case you didn't already know, the Bears play the Los Angeles Rams primetime week one. Aaron Donald, one of the best defensive tackles in the history of the sport. This is a recipe for disaster. So, yes, I am terrified, among other things with this roster, the secondary, the linebackers, uh, the quarterback position. No surprise there. The 15 tight ends that are on the roster. But I think that the (laughs) offensive line is going to be a – theme for all the wrong reasons on Sunday night next week. I know there's a lot of issues. Like you wonder, did they let Charles Leno go too soon? Um, why did they have to let him go You know, right after they drafted Tevin Jenkins? Um, now Jenkins has surgery. They think they've fixed it. Um, is that why he slipped to the second round? Is that why, you know, so many teams let him go because they knew about the back issues, but then the bears say that this is a different issue, that these were some other issues he's dealing with um, that were new. All right. I will take that. But I worry that they they just can't seem to get this right. Why in the world rush? I know every Bears fan wants to see Justin Fields starting. Why in the world would you rush that when this offensive line is a, a pack quilt offensive line? <laughs> the young man would get himself killed. It's a, It looks like a Mickey Mouse offensive line. It's like these can't be the guys that you have protecting the future of your franchise. Um So, honestly, that's part of the reason why I have always clamored for Fields to not start week one. Like, if the Bears are going to win a Super Bowl, make a deep playoff run, it's not this year. Fields or no fields, it's not this year. So there's already no point in rushing him. This offensive line, I feel like we are maybe overstating a little bit just how bad they are. I think it's more so like like a pattern that's developed the past few years that we are just afraid is going to repeat itself. And with the injuries and the lack of experience – on this current offensive line, it seems more likely than it did in past years. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's important to mention that. But at the same time, last year in Dallas, Andy Dalton took over for Dak Prescott, um, who suffered a brutal season-ending injury. And then Dalton came in, and he had been kind of regressing a little bit for Cincinnati because of their poor offensive line. And then comes to Dallas with a banged-up offensive line, an overrated offensive line. Everybody loves to regard their offensive line as top 10. They were a bottom 10 group easily last year and looked horrible, looked worse than he'd ever looked. So if we're already worried about how Andy Dalton's going to look and there's a pattern with his regression continuing when he's given a poor offensive line, this could be an absolute catastrophe week one. Week two, I don't worry against Cincinnati, but week one against L.A. and that front seven, and particularly number 99, I'm bracing and preparing for the absolute worst. All right, Jason. So for all of the problems on the offensive line for this Bears team, there was a time when the Bears never had a problem on the offensive line because these guys were together I don't even know how many years. And now the Bears have an offensive lineman in the Hall of Fame. We should say another one in Jimbo Covert. And Jimbo joins the show right now. Jimbo, congratulations on your Hall of Fame induction. 
Well, thank you, Peggy. I appreciate it. It was quite an experience. And I think the most uh, gratifying thing for me was just, uh, you know, celebrating with, you know, family and friends. And it took a while to happen, but uh, it was it was a great experience. I was going to say, you sounded like you had so much fun. Your speech was fantastic. Yeah. You, were just, <laughs> you were just up there having fun, hanging out, giving shout out to your high school <laughs> and, you know, everyone that was in the audience. I mean, you really had a good time with it. And I, I got to ask you, it's not often offensive linemen are put into the Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. D- did you think? that it would ever happen. And then of course COVID hits and you know, it may not happen, but take me through the thought process because forever your name would come up and uh, it's really hard for offensive linemen to get into Canton. Yeah, it is. And um, you know, I just think that for me, you know, I didn't have the longest career and, and I just uh, you know, I I probably could have squeezed a few more years out at the end of my career. I I just didn't want to play if I didn't feel like I was at my um, you know, the way I played earlier in my career. And, you know, even after I hurt my back in 88, you know, I, I just was never really the type of player I was before that. So, you know, my last couple of years, um, you know, I thought I had a really good year in 90 and, but I was, I just wasn't the dominate like power player that I was before. And it was a little bit frustrating for me. And, um, and, but I was still pretty good left tackle. Uh, it just, uh, you know, wasn't the same for me. So when I hurt my back again in 91, I just said, you know, enough is enough. And I just, I'm 61 right now and I can still walk upright and I'm not bent over. So um, it was the right decision to make for me at the time. Um, and I think that had a huge impact on, on, you know, my ability to get in the hall of fame for a long time. But, you know, when the centennial class came around I thought that Dan Pompey, he just felt like it was a little bit different dynamic because they had not just writers, um, but they had coaches like Bill Belichick and John Madden, and they had personnel guys like Ron Wolf and, you know, Carl Peterson and players as well, like Ozzie Newsom. So um, the perspective changed. And I think when the perspective changed in the room, you know, Dan felt that I had a pretty good chance considering the year before I was one of the finalists for the seniors and didn't make it. That's the year Johnny Robinson got in. So, you know, I think there was some renewed hope for a, after a long time of, uh, you know, not happening. You, you five stuck together uh, for so long. Uh, how did you guys do it? And how, how it's an unheard of today to have the same starting five, let alone one season for the number of years that you guys were able to stick it out and, and avoid injuries. Like, I don't know how you guys did it. I mean, what is the number? How long you guys were together? We, the five of us played for seven years together. Um, and, you know, it's unheard of, but you know, this is before free agency as well. Right. So guys really weren't going to go anywhere and salary cap and all that kind of stuff. So um if uh, if they did have a salary cap back then, you know, they'd want to sign somebody and then they'd have to let somebody else go. Right. So that was that's kind of the world we're living in right now. So it's hard to keep a team together, especially on the offensive line, which is really a team within a team. And I think that was something that um, you need that continuity. You need you know that experience. You need to be able to play together for a number of years to really feel comfortable and um and you see that now in the NFL when you got guys kind of coming in and out and you seeing a little bit sporadic play earlier in the year. Um, and I think that's just a product of free agency and guys not playing together for a long time. We were very fortunate. Do you think that 
blocking for one of the greatest running backs of all time made your job any easier? Or do you think that you, as well as the other four sticking together for so long, made Walter Payton's job easier because he knew exactly what he was getting out of his offensive line every single game? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think that, um, you know, us playing together for a long time really, you know, was consistent. And when you have guys like that playing together, you know, you get pretty good production. I mean, we led the league in rushing four years in a row, which really, you know, I think the, before the time happened before that was like in the 40s with the Bears. So um, uh, that's unheard of. You, No one's done it since. Um, you know, and then after Walter retired and Neil Anderson came around, who was a great back as well, um, you know, I think we were second in the league rushing uh, twice and then third once during my career. So um, that that makes a huge difference when you have guys that play together. And, uh, and you know, we had some pretty good players on that offensive line. And I think, you know, we tried to establish the run that way. That was what we did. I mean, you know, we were a running football team and we felt like if you can control the line of scrimmage, um, on both sides of the ball, but especially on the offensive line, can control the line of scrimmage. It just makes everybody's play that much easier, makes the quarterback's play that much easier, makes everybody's play that much easier. So, you know, when you're when you're forced to be in, you know, third and long situations a lot and you don't have the opportunity to run the football, that has an impact on your offense. So you are a University of Pittsburgh alumni. Coach Ditka is a University of Pittsburgh alumni. Going in, did that make it easier to mesh well with Coach Ditka? And did that play any role into building a positive relationship with him, considering that you spent your entire career in Chicago? Um, I don't know. I think maybe a little bit. You know, I mean, he's a pick grad. I'm a pick grad. And um, and I felt like, you know, when I got in there as a rookie, I came in um, in 1983 as part of that class. And, um, you know, I came into training, actually mini camp in May, uh, the first time I stepped on the field, he said, hey, kid, that's your position and you're going to do well. And I, mean, I started the first practice of minicamp. So, um, you know, there was a lot of expectations for me to play well. Um, and I had to because I felt like if I played well, then, you know, the offense was going to be able to play a little bit better. And I think the results showed, you know, that we could play better. And as long as you can have that protect the passer. I mean, people talk about you know, having a great passing offense and what does it take to have a great passing offense? I mean, obviously the quarterback position and great receivers, but if you don't have pass protection, you don't have a passing offense. So you have to be able to protect the passer and, you know, and it's still, I mean, football has been around for a hundred years, right. And longer than that. And it's still, one with the offense and defensive lines. You see it in college football. You see it in pro football. If you don't have those big guys up front doing their job, I don't care what kind of skill positions you have. They just, you know, they just can't play if if those guys aren't doing their job. Jimbo, why is it so hit or miss with offensive linemen? Why do teams have such a hard time finding guys? I mean, you started from your very first practice. Now, there, it, it's really hard to find offensive linemen, and it just seems like, especially here in Chicago, it has become very hit or miss. Yeah, that's a great question, Peggy. I, I, I don't really have an answer for that. I just feel like, um, you know, uh, you got to scout them, you got to look at how they play, what competition they play against in college football, you know, um, and um, how they're coached. 
You know, I mean, and if they're coached well, I mean, I had a great offensive line coach. I had probably the best offensive line coach, I think, ever in Joe Moore, uh, who coached a lot of NFL Hall of Famers and Pro Bowlers. And um, when I came into the Bears as a rookie, I was prepared. I mean, I was I was probably more prepared than the rest of the guys. And they were already there a couple of years just because the way I was coached. Um, and I had the fundamentals and the techniques down. And I had a great line coach in, in Dick Stanfield. So, you know, I just felt like when I got in there, you know, from a technique perspective, I was I was um, I was, you know, head and shoulders above the other guys who were coming in. So, you know, I think it's technique and I think it's how you're coached. And, and it's just not all about talent. I mean, there's a lot of you know, great talented players that are good athletes, but that doesn't mean they make great offensive linemen. I mean, it's hard work. I mean, the thing that you do is play an offensive line. I mean, it's unnatural. I mean, you, the things you have to do is, is drudgery. It's technique and repetition, repetition, repetition. A lot of guys don't like that. And so that's, it's just kind of a special breed of person to, to become a great offensive lineman. Have you ever dealt with bunions? I have. It got to the point that I couldn't even wear any shoes without having shooting pain. Even at night, I couldn't even pull the covers over my foot. It hurt so bad. It didn't matter if I was wearing slippers or boots, gym shoes working out, or heels for a night out. The pain was intolerable. I finally decided to do something about it. That's when I heard about Foot First Podiatry and their exclusive procedure, the Sklar Bunionectomy. It has you on your feet the day after surgery. Are you kidding? Well, I had to see it to believe it. And you know what? They were right. Surgery was easy. I am so glad I did it. I walked out of surgery in a boot, no cast, no crutches, walking the same day. And you can be back in a gym shoe in two weeks. When I look at my foot now, there's no visual scar. And best of all, I am pain-free. So ladies and guys, don't walk around in pain like I did for years. Visit footfirst.com. It's interesting that you bring that up about it being such hard work. Um, there's an there's an, an an attitude that come with offensive linemen, and it's you know the lunch pail gang. It's the guys that you know roll up their sleeves and go to work every day. And it, it made me think when you were talking about your dad, was he a steel worker? In yes. Pittsburgh? Yeah. All right. You know, my, my dad, blue collar. My dad was, you know, worked as a janitor. And, you know, I, I wonder if there's something to it when you see your dad being, you know, a a lunch pail kind of guy, you know, that you grow up with that same kind of attitude. Now, Matt Sui said, you're the nicest, kindest guy in the world until you put on a, a football helmet and then you go to work. What is it about it that you got that work mentality? Is it the house that you were raised in? You know, what was it? You know, I, I think you're right about that. I mean, my grandfather worked at Armco Steel for 44 years. My dad worked there for 34 years. And, you know, um, he would come, he would work night turn and he would come home. And, you know, I said it in my speech and then go back out in the meet. Sears and Roebuck moving truck for another eight hours, you know, once a, once a month. I mean, when you see that as a kid, that makes a huge impact on you. And, um, you know, and so, and, and the guys I grew up with too, in the area I grew up with in Beaver County, Western Pennsylvania, I mean, it's hardworking guys. I mean, and, and I always tell people, you know, I, where I grew up, you know, there's a couple, you know, three, three opportunities, the mill, the military or, or, 
or getting a scholarship to play football. And I was lucky enough and had enough of a um, ability to go to Pitt and get a scholarship. I mean, I was the first person from my family to graduate from college. And so, um, you know, it's a uh, it's it's just an area of the country where it's is work ethic is expected and you weren't. Um, I mean, there was no slackers in my household. I know that because my uh, my mom and dad wouldn't allow it. Well, on the topic of the offensive line position, when I personally look at football and the way that the sport has changed over its 100-plus years of existence, I feel like offensive and defensive line are probably the two positions that have changed the least. Do you agree with that? And if so or if not, what do you think has changed, if anything, since the 80s to now um, in the way that the position's played? That's another great question. I, I'm not a big fan of how they play offensive line today. Um, I, I don't like zone blocking. I don't like lateral stepping. I don't like, you know, like pushing guys to one side and, you know, having the running back, you know, look for softness and try to cut back and all that. I mean, I just like hitting the hole, you know, driving the guy off the ball, um, getting movement, um, and, you know, running the play in the hole where it's designed, not running the play five holes away from where it's designed. I mean, they just kind of like run right, run left and look for softness. I, I'm just not a big fan of that. Um, and I think what happens is your technique is horrible. You lateral step, you grab onto people, you don't, you know, get your helmet and shoulder pads underneath people. I mean, my line coach, Joe Moore, was all about leverage, right? It was all about leverage. And if if the guy I was playing against helmet was here, my helmet had to be underneath that. And if his was there, my helmet had to be underneath that. And I just don't think you're seeing a lot of that today. So I think that's what's changed a little bit. Um they get these guys that are 350 pounds and they step laterally and look for, and a running back looks for softness. And I'm not saying it's a bad way to play football. I just, I don't, I'm just not a big fan of, and I think that's what's changed a little bit. I was doing a little research leading up to this and correct me if I'm wrong, but you faced Lawrence Taylor three times and never allowed a sack. So I have a little bit of a two part question. I'm going to assume that by virtue of that, He's not the answer to this question. But who is the most difficult player to block in your day? Well, to get back to the first part of that, I mean, I think Lawrence Taylor is the greatest defensive player I've ever played. And um, I just felt like I matched up well with him physically. Um, and that's why. And, um, you know, in order for us to win the game, I had to play well. So it was a challenge for me. Um, and um, I always played very well against better competition, and I raised my game to that. Um, but I think the best guy I ever played against was a guy named Leroy Selman, who played at Tampa Bay as a Hall of Famer, and um, I think he was the best defensive end that I ever played against. Now, Lawrence Taylor's the linebacker. He's obviously the best linebacker I ever played against. But when you got to play against the guy every snap, and he's in five technique and you're playing against him, you know, they, they didn't have that stuff where you had third-down rushers and – you know, like whole platoons and new guys coming in on third down, you played against the guy and that was it, you know? So um, I think he was the best I ever played against. So you mentioned, um, we talked a little bit about how your group of guys, the offensive line stuck together for seven years, which is just unbelievable. I don't know how much you're keeping up with the uh, 2021 Chicago bears, 
But um, can you still play left tackle, Jimbo? <laughs> yeah, there's not enough quarter zone left in the world for that. But I got at least a couple series in me. It depends on how much the Bears want to pay for that, right? Yeah. Won't be too much, I don't think. Listen, don't stay, stay close to your phone the way it's going these days. But it, seriously, um, they're banged up, and they are going to go with a rotation. Not only uh, – I mean, they've got a – 39-year-old left tackle, so um, this is going to be interesting with Jason Peters uh, They as they, they sign him off his fishing boat. And um, they're rotating guys. The interior might be okay, but it's uh, the left and right tackles that they're going to be rotating guys. How do you think that's going to work? Because we've always described the offensive line as uh, choreography, and it's like a ballet, and everyone's got to work together. And to be rotating guys in and out – it just, to me, I think that it just has, um, it, it could be hazardous. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. I mean, I just feel like you got to get in there and, you know, play your 70, 80 snaps and, and, um, and, uh, and get a feel for the game and, and, you know, rotating guys in and out. I, I just, I'm not a big fan of that. If you have to do that because you got have guys injured, you know, that's just a, you know, fact that you have to kind of live with, but um you know, I like Jason Peters. I think he's one of the best tackles uh, that have played in the last couple of decades. And I um, mean, he's 39 years old. I mean, he's, I mean, how many thousands of pass sets he's made. So, I mean, I, he's going to be fine. Um, it's just if he could stay healthy or not. I mean, that's the hard part about the whole thing. Be, being that age is staying healthy, but um, I think he'll do a great job. Now, I think I know how you're going to answer this, but when it comes to the Bears running game under Matt Nagy, uh, it really doesn't exist much. Um, he loses patience, but he also believes that the running game is an extension of uh, the short passing game. And he wants chunks instead of one and two yards. Doesn't one and two yard gains in the first half wear down a defensive line in the second half? Isn't that what the patience is also about? Eventually those holes opening up to being three and four yard gains. I mean, what, what's the philosophy with one and two yard gains being okay, which is the era of football we all grew up with. Yeah. I think if you're trying to set a tone and you're trying to, you're trying to establish something, you know, every once in a while you get, you know, you know, uh, no, you know, uh, no yardage or a couple yards, but, you know, you're trying to establish something to uh, that could pay off later on in the game, right. For play action passes and other things. Um, And I just think football's changed so much. I mean, the fullback position has completely disappeared from the face of the earth because why do they want to play a fullback when they can have another receiver and why do they want to play a fullback where they're going to get a two yard run where they can pass for five yards. Right. So I get that. Um, and you know, that's just kind of football today, but if you want to have a good running game, I mean, you got to get push and, and you got to stay with it too. You can't just abandon it because if you abandon it, then how do you run the rest of your offense? If you're just going to drop back and throw all the time, then you might as well just get in a two point stance and not even, you know, not even getting a three point stance, just sit up there and pass block all the time. Right. And then if you start doing that, you know, they're going to start dropping more people and you're just not going to be able to complete any passes either. So, establishing the run and bringing the linebackers up and bringing that safety up every once in a while to stop that is how it opens up the passing game. So you got to be patient. Um, 
And, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out all that great, but if you, you're patient, you know, usually you can set something up that will happen later on in the game. Have you ever been invited back to talk to the offensive line room with the Chicago Bears? No, I haven't. No. Um, you know, uh, when um, a couple years ago I came back and uh, was on the practice field and, um, you know, saw some of the guys and uh, got, I didn't really get a chance to talk to them as a group or anything like that. I just was kind of observing practice. But, um, you know, I like Juan. I think uh, he'll do a nice job. Um, he's got to have people to work with. And and I'm a really a big fan of Harry. Um, and, um you know, he's a Joe Moore guy, so uh, he gets it. And, uh, you know, when they made that change and brought Juan in, I was sad to see Harry go because I thought Harry's one of the best offensive line coaches in, in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I hope he gets gets back into to coach again. Well, it's been great having you on. It's been great catching up. And I got to tell you, uh, I did laugh when I saw your bust at the Hall uh, of yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, you don't look anything like that guy. Not now, no, but I look <laughs> like that in the 80s, right? <laughs> Jimbo, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. Uh, Bears you. fans everywhere are, are happy for you. They're proud of you. And we're hoping that some of this can rub off in the, the current Chicago Bears. Well, thank you. Great spending time with you both. Thank you. All right, Jason, that was awesome having Jimbo Covert on the show. I mean, really, really cool to have a Hall of Famer. Another Hall of Famer. Last season we had Brian Urlacher. This year we wow. had Jimbo Covert. Really Who's cool. going to be next year? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Who's up for the Hall of Fame? We'll see. No, but that was awesome. It's always cool talking to somebody who, like, being inducted into the Hall of Fame for anything that you do in life means that you are the best of the best. So talking to a Hall of Famer, especially somebody who won a Super Bowl in Chicago, not many of those people around, um, was very, very special. It, it almost like amplifies every word that they speak, just means so much more knowing they have the validation, being in the Hall of Fame and being a Super Bowl champion. So it was awesome talking to Jimbo Cover. Really cool experience, cool hearing his insight on this year's group, on the offensive lines of uh, – of the bears past when he was in Chicago. So very insightful, very enlightening and didn't exactly shed any light. Didn't really make me feel much better about the current offensive line, but I think that it'd take a complete revamp to make me feel any better about this year's offensive line anyway. So really interesting. What he said though, about how it's hard work and it's repetitive doing the same thing over and over, which a lot of guys don't like. And, you know, maybe that's why there is such a problem finding good offensive linemen these days. Um, But I, I, I forgot to ask him about this, but I have to tell you why I, I one of the reasons I think Chicago loved him so much. You know, he came from uh, Pittsburgh, hardworking guy. His uh, dad was a steel worker. His mom worked at JCPenney. And he said in his speech that back in the uh, 70s and 80s, they used to say that their mom worked at JCPenney because they wanted to make it sound fancier than it actually was. Yeah, it's just and like it made me think of anyone in Chicago. Tarjay. Yeah. That's exactly what we all do. You know, everyone yeah. would say Tarjay. We're going to Tarjay, you know. Yeah. So anyways, I loved it. So Jason, do you have any predictions? I always have predictions. So my, yeah, <laughs> my first prediction, um, NFL season starts this uh, upcoming weekend. I'm going to say my Super Bowl matchup is going to be Rams Chiefs. I think the Rams win the Super Bowl. Matt Stafford has been an incredible quarterback and a pitiful franchise for a really long time. Now he's on a real team with a real offense. Give me the Rams every week of the year. 
my number two prediction um, is going to be, so we have talked a lot about Cubs socks, about what the Cubs have been doing. Everything I said, everything I predicted actually has been correct. I said that they'd completely sell off everyone and they did that and they've been horrible ever since. I'm actually going to say that they don't rebuild. I think that they reload. I was looking a couple of days ago at their cap situation and they only have like 22 million committed um, in two years. So they are going to be huge players in free agency. So I'm going to say that the Cubs might not make the playoffs next year, but they certainly are not going to keep selling off. I think that that's a team that's going to rebound pretty quick because they have to, they have to sell tickets. Um, and then, so my third and final prediction is college football started this past weekend. It was a crazy, crazy opening weekend. Eight top 25 teams lost, including Washington losing to Montana at home. That is a FCS opponent beating a ranked FBS opponent at home. Only happens once every few years. Really special to see that. I'm going to say right now, though, that the national champion is currently ranked outside of the top five. I think that this week one of college football where we saw these upsets, Clemson scored three points. Uh, Notre Dame really struggled with Florida State last night. I'm going to say that for the first time in the playoff era, the national champion starts the regular season ranked outside the top seven. Now, who's to say that could be Cincinnati, who started ranked eight? I mean, that would be incredible. That would be next level. Um, There are very many options. A lot of teams looked awesome, awesome, awesome in week one. A lot of teams looked really bad. I think that this can be the craziest year of college football in a long time. So there's my shot in the dark, 1,000 to 1 odds prediction. But I'm going to say that it won't be Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, the usual players. I think that we'll see someone different this year. So. Oh, my gosh. Well, my final thoughts are very short and sweet, and it has to come from something that Jimbo Covert said. And he said that for offensive linemen, it's hard work. And there is no substitute for hard work. It is repetitive. It is grueling. It is you know nasty and gritty. But when you put it in, it pays off. I know that from my own family. I say, I've said it many times. My dad worked three and four jobs, raised 10 kids. Uh, he worked at a factory as a factory foreman during the day. He worked as a janitor on the weekends at a high school. Uh, he tended bar at the church bowling alley um, one night a week. And he was in the Air National Guard as well um, for his uh, one weekend a month. And nothing substitutes hard work. It is what made me successful in my career. And Amen to that. And I think that it's, it's really a lesson to anyone is that it is really, there are no shortcuts in life. There are no shortcuts to success. It's really all about hard work. So. And you know, and you know what, mom, just to kind of piggyback off of that, that is yeah. something that you've taught me my entire childhood, my entire life. It's the way I live my life. Um, especially in high school, going to Ignatius, I knew I wasn't the smartest one, but I knew if I worked as hard as possible, I'd be able to get to where I wanted to be. And now I'm here because of what you taught me in regards to that growing up. So amen. That's got to be one of my favorite final thoughts that you've ever had. And this is one of the only ones you didn't write down before. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed I it. 
I know you love when I when I uh, don't script things out. So, all right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of The Sportscaster and Her Son. Jason, what can people do if they like this episode? Well, I'm about to find out what people can do if they like this episode. If you liked this episode, please let us know by pressing the heart button like us and listen to some of our past episodes too. Those are really good. Maybe not as good as this one, though. I really love the StreamYard setup. Uh, and please follow us so that you never miss another show. Yeah. Hey, check us out on YouTube where you're watching us right now. If you're listening to us, you know, grab your laptop and check us out as well, our video version. Um, I have another YouTube show as well called Pass the Mic, where we highlight women in sports and sports media. That is it for this episode. We want to thank Aldo Gandia for everything he does at the Barroom Network. Thank you to Adam Yoffe as well for always making us look and, and sound as good as we do. Thank you all for joining us and for following us. Please subscribe, continue to follow. And hey, we look forward to next time. We'll chat soon. Bye, Jason. Bye, Mom. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, electrically connecting our world. And by Foot First Podiatry. It's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sklar Bunionectomy. No visual scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. Visit footfirst.com.